Hello and welcome. You're listening to Live and Live Eva Voce. My name is Adam. My name is Meg. And Meg is very annoyed with me because I've just made a couple of silly mistakes because I was daydreaming very briefly. Yeah, that's okay. Anyway, um, this week we are talking about... Drumroll. Utopianism. Yes, the word I gave you last week following my talk on Tetris. Yes. Talk ramble yes anecdote yes who knows i just realized that as i was drum rolling i accidentally clapped causing one of those signature basically we have to clap before you know we start properly so that adam knows like where to kind of trim and stuff like that 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 would be be my penance for annoying you earlier yeah exactly there we go okay okay so i mean we need if you want we can banter i mean okay (laughs) <laughs> uh, the promise of banter uh, okay first let's talk about what we're drinking so um i have to admit listeners we we're gonna be real with you okay we are still in canada this is still the same day as we're recording um tetris okay and let me let me take you behind the scenes okay and that's because in a couple of days we're gonna move to new york and this upcoming week we gotta be we gotta be cool okay we're moving to new york because we and uh, do you want to tell this or shall i We've just signed a five-year contract to produce podcasts. Yeah, exactly. No, we no, haven't. of course not. It's the same reason I told you in the last episode. It's that, you know, we're going to... I'm I'm starting... Well, I'm going into the second year of my PhD, but I'm going to be starting there in person. So it's nice that I have a place there and you're helping me um, move and everything yep. like that. So, you know, this upcoming week, it's going to be a lot of, like, administrative nonsense and actually, like, physically moving in, ordering yep. furniture, yep. ordering supplies. Yep. So we need to pre-record this. Otherwise, 100%. it's just not going to be possible. 100%. Mm-hmm. So, um, without any further ado... Well, no, we have to show what we're drinking. Oh, do, are we, are we not so, sure? I mean, so it's the same thing. It's red yeah. wine, right? It's I red thought, wine and other... I thought it was following the similarity yeah, well, of... You know, yeah, we're maybe, in Canada. It's the same day. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we but got, maybe we also got just don't remember, on, right? We got drunk on something different. Yeah, that's true. And then also, I need to go on a rant here, and this will be the banter of the <laughs> evening, okay? Adam's laptop is literally... It's like watching... It's like watching a per, like a, a, a geriatric slowly die. It's like watching like a dog on its last legs. Like it's painful. It's absolutely painful. I'll have you know that Xander, which is the name I gave to my Dell XPS, which is so nerdy. I call I call him Xander. Well, I, I thought I need to give him a name beginning with X. I was like, well, there are no names beginning with X except like Xander and Xavier. Yeah. Or Xavier, yeah. yeah. But my thoughts were basically that Xander's the kind of name that you hear a pretentious, like middle private middle schooler yeah. be called, right? Hey, Xander. Also, also like, I'm sleepy. I'm sleepy, and the the laptop was just not being cooperative. I fixed it now. You though. did fix it. You did fix it. Yeah, and, we, we've got. You know, we're going to get a recording out of it. At the exactly. Very least. Somehow, it's going to get done. So. Now, without any further ado. Yes, exactly. 
I would like to present to you, you my talk. <laughs> I feel like I'm at like a grade school show and tell. And also, we don't have the mic fully set up because we're only in this Airbnb for a couple of weeks. And so Adam is just holding it like a little bouquet. We should get it. You know, when we, when we finally like fully settle into the place in New York, we should actually get like a, a recording nice, studio. No, I said we should get a nice like bouquet of flowers or something for like the main room. This That'd be true. really pretty, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Like a nice little vase or something yeah. like that. I think it'd be cute. Anyways, the uh, title of my presentation this week is Utopianism, Ideal Cities and World Happiness interesting mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so this talk is going to be divided into three uh components okay a beginning a middle and an end well i guess i'll go chronologically that's 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 the way it's going to be done one i'm going to be talking about where the word comes from right okay. two i'm going to be talking about uh the way that the origins of the word kind of inspired um, not only genres of literature, but specifically uh, architecture, infrastructure, and urban planning uh, kind of schools of thought, okay? And then I'm going to extrapolate from that, uh, which, which I kind of concentrate in like the Renaissance, the kind of 17th century, and even the kind of uh, 20th century into present day calculations of quote-unquote world happiness and i'm going to argue that like the origins of you know the term and the idea of utopianism which is this uh paradoxical straddling of both ideal but also impossible you know this kind of modern day world happiness and the strive for world happiness and these kind of like weird patriotic competitions of world happiness sure. also kind of straddled that um that sure. opposition as well Interesting. that complication okay Interesting. so first of all i'd like to say that my i i genuinely have an argument i don't know if my evidence i don't know if my storytelling is going to be as like com as compelling and intriguing as what you brought to the table last week with tetris but let me just say i do have an argument I'd i like, did outline it i like to think our podcast is like a sandwich <laughs> it's, it's a I'm beautiful the, i'm melange. the filling and you're the bread it's a melange okay anyways do you know where the word comes from and if you do kind of bullshit a little bit so that I can give okay. you the rundown. I vaguely know where it comes from. Okay. Is Utopia the name of a book by a guy called Thomas More? Yes, it is. Okay. So Can I tell you how I know that? How do you, I'm sure it's from The Simpsons, right? It's because I packed it yesterday in your suitcase. Yes, yes, good. Yes, because anyways, back to our just constant stress of moving. Yes, that's one of the books that I that I own. So, you know, when I had first heard about it, because I'm sure, like you, where's, let me ask you this, actually, where is the first context that you heard the word utopia? And that, that didn't have to be the word by itself, but like, um, where, where is the first context growing up that you, you heard about utopia? I couldn't say specifically, but the, the sort of like terminology I strongly... I'm sure it's not Thomas More. The, the, the terminology I strongly associate with is uh, the genre I strongly associate with is science fiction. Yeah. And, and I don't know why. Because, utopia, but what is the opposition of that? Or dystopia. Dystopia, no, right? I, no, but even, even utopia, right? I strongly associate this idea of like paradise worlds and paradise yeah. environments with a fictional future yeah. not a fictional past you yeah. know well anyways you know growing up i 
kind of associate I was never really into like sci-fi or fantasy but like kind of understood the kind of ties there right and then of course the word itself right has these Greek origins so it was like maybe it's this kind of classical sure. notion sure. I wouldn't be surprised right um, what, I, what I didn't kind of know was that it would be um, a very uh, kind of 15th 16th century term of the English Renaissance <laughs> okay, specifically okay. right because because Thomas More uh, 1478 to 1533 um, he, he was uh, both English and uh, the Lord High Chancellor of England yes right uh, and and actually uh, he served under Henry VIII yeah right and very famously right he refused to acknowledge Henry VIII as the head of the Church of England yep right um, and and he refused to recognize any kind of annulment of marriage right yep. with him and his yep. first wife Catherine of Aragon right yep. and he was a very very devout Catholic although of course at this point there wasn't really that kind of distinction between Catholic and everyone else, right? He was sure. a very, yeah, very devout yeah. Christian, right? Yeah. That's what he kind of considered himself. Um, and he was arrested, right, for treason, sure. right? Because yep. he didn't... He didn't of course, yeah, yeah. He, like, vehemently uh, kind of disagreed with the king. And his trial actually took only 15 minutes uh, before he was found guilty. And then he was originally sentenced to be hanged, drawn, and quartered, which is the punishment for traitors who are not of nobility. Um, but yep. then the king actually commuted his sentence to just a beheading, which in the grand... That's kind of him. No, but in the grand scheme of things is like uh, considerably more painless than to be sure. hung while still alive and then to be like gutted and like pulled and then to be cut into quarters and put your you know have your body put in different parts of the city of course, right like yeah, in yeah. comparison that is yes exactly far yeah. more you know agreeable yes um thomas more is actually venerated in the catholic church and he was actually canonized in 1935 by um pope pius the um, 11th in fairness that last bit doesn't surprise yeah. me too much because like canonization takes like a crazy long time yeah it does it? exactly like a right. couple of hundred years because yeah. I, I think like they have to see if you're going to turn into a myth yeah do you know what i'm saying they got to go like in, in 200 years time are people going to look back and be like that guy did some like stuff that's a little bit like exactly. spooky dookie right? exactly like i think if you start canonizing people right after they die and they're like Oh, this guy turned like water into wine. It's like, no, Bill had a secret bottle underneath yeah. the desk. No, but like, you know, give it a couple yeah. hundred years. Give it a couple like, hundred years. Oh, shoot, we didn't know about that bottle. Exactly, exactly. No one knew that about the bottles. Yeah. Away. Anyways, Thomas More, he wrote a bunch of stuff, right? And he had this like political position, right? But without a doubt, um, nowadays he is he is um, both like in academic context and I would say in co like kind of lay context. Well I know him from from the beheading and the Henry VIII thing. Okay sure uh, but he's also very well known for his uh, text Utopia right um, and it was actually published in Latin sure. uh, in 1516 uh, and then translated into the vernacular into English and actually made available in England only in 1551 which sure. is actually 16 years after his death maybe sure. not too surprising right um, considering how the kind of his later years went and also the advent of the printing press sort of in yes. that century 100% okay so um, uh, utopia is actually a is actually a pun the term yep, right sure. um and it's actually because utopia um kind of in in english at least 
sounds both like the Greek word, like utopia, I guess you dash like you and then topia, yeah, right? Sure. Or EU topia. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. So for instance, you with only you topia kind of means no place. That's the joke, right? Sure. It's, it's called it's this ideal kind of environment that does not exist as but the no title place. suggests that it cannot exist. But it it actually is this pull with EU topia, which yep. means good place. Right. Okay. And so, and so Thomas More's playing some mind games. Playing some here. mind games, and for instance, the word Europe, for instance, right? Like that's yeah, like, yeah. you know that kind of term, um, that root is there too, right? So, uh, utopia is kind of um, this frame narrative, yep. uh, which is basically kind of a structure of writing where it's people who are uh, you know within the narrative themselves telling stories and then telling a deeper narrative and sure. so on and so yep. forth, right? And it's actually Thomas More. Uh, visiting this island of utopia, sure. meeting yeah. some of the folks, kind of bringing back uh, and and recounting the kinds of different laws, customs, environs of of the location, right? So um, uh, to to and comparing them to European states, sure, right? So a couple of interesting elements of this, you know, fictional uh, utopia is that one, there are no lawyers. I think that's very interesting, interesting yeah. right? Uh, bear in mind, you should be kind of comparing this to Henry VIII's England, right? Because that was the kind of environment that Moore was writing, was writing in, right? So there was no lawyers, um, and that was due to the fact that Utopia's um, legal system and sort of laws were s- supposed to be so simplistic um, and straightforward that there didn't need to be prosecutors litigation. and litigation, litigation, right? There didn't need to be any kind of argument, right? Um, also, the fact that a lot of um, kind of ideas and disputes were kind of just discussed in large public social gatherings. Sure, yeah. Also yeah. interesting. Uh, two, that there was communal ownership, so there was actually no private property, um, okay. which is I, 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 and I'll kind of kind of come down the line to kind of discuss uh, the influences of Moore's Utopia, sure. right? Um, number three, that men and women had both like had access to education. Interesting. Um, four, that there was almost complete religious tolerance except for atheists and i I will talk a little bit about that and then five that there was still slavery um but a very kind of interesting uh i guess approach to it um and academics kind of still write about this uh element of utopia right kind of this so so there was still slavery um and there were basically uh utopians as it were right like yep. the inhabitants of utopia yep. they would go around trying to like colonize adjacent like islands Lovely. and areas sure. right and they would basically proposition the inhabitants of those areas being like you can either kind of straightforwardly participate yep. it'll be cool or you disagree with us and like we'll turn you into slaves <laughs> right it was that Love kind it. of Love back it. and forth as well as as well as if, if i'm not mistaken adulterers as well so a lot of okay. kind of uh impinging kind of infringing upon like um, a lot of like social mores this is and stuff big like that. beta male stuff going on i don't here. know but what's really interesting is that the slaves were actually um uh, enchained in gold and other precious quote-unquote precious gems because a big element of utopia was that they basically 
all products only carried their like use value if yeah, that makes sense utility value. exactly yeah, yeah. so, so for gold instance and jewelry gold and jewelry had any. no value so right? that was like the cheapest metal to produce exactly and of. and children at a young age seeing these slaves would kind of create this kind of association that gold and these other you know it was, was just worthless was worthless right in fact worse than worthless right um so these kind of elements of uh kind of communal living a very kind of simplistic um lawmaking rule following mm -hmm. uh this really um insistent turn to scholasticism right sure. like the utopians like to kind of learn like to educate themselves sure. right um this was so much grecian in a way which is sort of where the or greek in a way in which i suppose where the nod comes from a little bit right? well specifically it wasn't grecian it was actually inspired by monastic living okay. right because so you know more being this very devout christian had experience living in these kinds of like knowing sure. about brotherhoods and sisterhoods of a very very religious sure, folk right sure. who had kind of cloistered themselves from uh not even secular society but kind of yep. normal society right and yep. they would kind of farm and produce sustain themselves reach out when they had to agree upon simple rules usually kind of swear themselves to not maybe not silence but definitely to kind of no conflict right sure. so it's this very kind of peaceful straightforward easy yep. way of living yep, yep, yep. right um that that also centered around this heavy religious component right um which it you know is, is really is really interesting some other some other customs of utopia um there were wealth it was heavily dependent on welfare and there sure. were actually free hospitals which is really interesting, interesting. um there was euthanasia as well uh, which is really, really interesting, considering... Because Catholicism is very anti-suicide. It is, yeah, but there's actually euthanasia. But, is, but it had to it be anti, permitted by the state, if that makes sense. But was it anti-suicide anti in the 1500s? Yes, 100%. 100% really? okay, was. Yeah, so for instance, if you've heard of... Um, this is a later on in the 1600s. Have you heard of John Donne? No. He's, a, he's a an English bit, poet. Yeah, he's kind of now known for his sonnets and love poetry. He's kind of yeah, erotic poetry. Sure, sure. But he actually wrote a treatise on suicide that he immediately um, kind of buried away because he he was a member of the... Uh, well, he was Catholic and then Protestant and then sure. so on and so forth. But he, sure. he was actually the dean of St. Paul's. And okay. in order to, for him to actually have written that and, and released it and stuff would have been like incredibly controversial, right? Sure, sure. So yeah, suicide, like kind of death by choice, by human choice, yeah. was incredibly um, sinful, right? So it's interesting that Thomas More would write about that in a... In yeah, in, in presumably a good place, yeah, right? And then stick to such Catholic ideals to the extent that he gets beheaded. Yes. So then um, divorce was also permitted. Um, what? Yeah, there was no, but there was no premarital sex. This was like, vi this was something that was stressed very vehemently is that there was no, like, if you had sex, you better be married and you better only have sex within like that married couple. Yep. Like I said, adulterers could be turned into slaves, right? So there's yep. this very sure. heavy uh, kind of, you know. Familial like bondage. Yeah, exactly. Down. And then also um, privacy did not necessarily equal freedom. Um, and I think that's this really interesting idea that, like, as we're going day by day, it's it's kind of an issue that we're, like, you know, in 2021, like, heavily contending yeah, yeah, with, sure. right? But this idea that actually to be seen in public and to have public discussions and to have all of your 
kind of identity be in this communal environment that is the greatest freedom and the greatest happiness that can be achieved right rather than private kind of be yourself kind of thing then yeah i don't know happiness in in, you can you can go out and and share your innermost thoughts with everyone around you yeah it's it's very much like be yourself it's almost like a positive affirmation yeah well like i said inspired by monastic living and of course monastic living is not only um not only kind of uh, you know having having these like morals and kind of physical kind of rules, but of course it's it centers around religion, right? Yeah, it's sure. it's this one element that is fueling this community to abide and, and conform sure, and sure. agree upon these values, 100%. right? And that's why atheists are the only kind of religious group in utopia that are despised and not allowed because they don't have any values. Exactly. To like so in Catholic utopia. Or... Um, there is sort of a primary religion and a kind of primary kind of deistic system, but there's no kind of um, significant discrimination upon other religions, if that makes sense. And there's actually an emphasis to kind of be tolerant, at least tolerant, if not accepting of other religions. So he did publish this, though, in Latin. Though. Yes, in Latin, So correct. how did the Catholic Church react? I know. Well... Yeah, I, I should have found that out. <laughs> but um, the, the primary reason, like you said, of why atheists were so despised is because they didn't believe in an afterlife. And yeah, utopians sure, sure. believe that this concept of, um, uh, of an afterlife either rewarding you or punishing you is the one kind of tenet in this kind of system that like tied about, all of these people together. What about Judaism? Yeah, well, I don't know. There it is. <coughs> Sorry about that. So, uh, anyways, basically, um, Moore's Utopia gave this rise to this literary genre, right? Sure. And utop- utopian fiction, right? Or, or specifically, this idea of kind of finding these um, defining the like what an environment like ideal environments, like. yeah. ideal environments, um, travelers and stuff like that was actually super big in the 17th and 18th century, right? So, for instance, Francis Bacon, sure. um, uh, an English uh, guy, I believe, I think he was English. He, was, um, right. he wrote the New Atlantis, right? Yep. Uh, Voltaire wrote Candide in the 18th century. Sure. Yep. Um, you know, a really, really well-known Enlightenment text. And then, of course, on the kind of opposite spectrum of things, like I said, there was also uh, dystopian fiction, right? This sure. idea of um, an environment, a place that uh, was so kind of internally fraught that yeah. you could see kind of all the cracks, right? It was this environment that no one wanted to be in, right? Yeah, a, sure. An undesired place, as it were. Um, and I believe it actually means broken place, right? Um, uh-huh. And, and you're kind of th- that kind of um, fiction was especially popular in the mid-20th century, right? So, for sure, instance, yeah. George Orwell is a really well-known yeah. writer of dystopian fiction. Obviously, 1984 is probably one of the best-known um works and then dystopian fiction kind of really blends well with um science fiction of the of 20th course, century yes, as well yes, right yes. as well as of margaret atwood yep. um she you know obviously handmaid's tale um, as well as other works is is i think yep. probably the current uh, most uh, well-known sure. sort of public dystopian writer yes. right anyways that's kind of this a little intro to you know the word itself word origins as well as kind right. of the literary side of things 
there is more to come. This is part two. Part two, yes. And I'm going to start, like, the rest of this will be actually quite short. Um, okay, fun fact, actually, in 2006, um, Rory Macbeth, who is this, I guess, uh, artist, um, he actually subscribed, or sorry, inscribed all 40,000 words of Utopia onto an old electricity factory in Orange. Weird okay, enough. Yeah, and actually it's still there, apparently. Wow, there you go. I, I think that's really... Whatever. So, utopia, you know, it means... When I hear, obviously, utopia, we learned exactly what it means, perhaps in kind of Moore's uh, yeah. kind of perspective, it's very, right? It's a, surprisingly, you know, like, I was expecting a more vague definition. No, no, it's U very in-depth. Utopia, it's like the perfect place. Yeah, no. no. Thomas More's like... Utopia. This is exactly what it exactly. is. Exactly, and it was to well, it was to contrast uh, kind of what was going on in England at the sure, time, yeah. right? And um, so, you know, more outlines very specifically, but at the same time, what the name kind of suggests that there is this kind of paradox and kind of um, you know these internal uh, tensions and like fracture lines that constantly disrupt the significance, yeah, right? Sure. Um, or rather, signification, but. You know, when when we kind of ask what does utopia mean, perhaps in the twenty first century, um, or even or even maybe a little earlier, like what what does like an ideal place or rather no place or whatever mean, right? So you know, I can think of terms like you know success or happiness or peace or the absence sure. of conflict, right? Stability or you know quote unquote personal and then freedom, right? Liberty, kind of equality, access to livelihood, sure. right? These are elements that kind of you would associate with some kind of ideal environment, right? Um, and besides fiction, right, and other kind of maybe like political treaties and tracts, Moore's Utopia inspired ideal city movements around the world and throughout time. Okay. So I'm going to share a couple of those. So with the design of a city um, and then kind of on a greater scale, a nation, right, you're looking for reformation of um, architecture, right? That's sure. huge. Um, morals and mores, right? Sure. The economy, cu the culture, politics, and a spiritual kind of sure. uh, perspective as well, right? Um, in terms of historical cases of ideal cities, um, there were a couple. So ugh, there was one... <sighs> I think this one was in, in I think, modern-day Poland. Uh, it's called Tomosk. I okay. don't know. It's from the 17th century, as well as in Italy, Palmanova. Um, and these were both actually fortified, um, circular, walled-off cities. And that okay. they were kind of part of this ideal city movement inspired by this notion of utopia. I think it's both interesting because they're both kind of geographically um, apart, perhaps influenced by this kind of general osmosis of ideas, right? Sure. Um, but they both integrated this idea of almost like landlocked islands in that they were completely like walled yeah, off yeah, from yeah, yeah. the outside world, sure. right? Allowing for there to be this kind of density of shared ideas. And, and also like a mic yeah, microcosm, essentially. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, as well as as well as well for like military protection and stuff like that, right? Sure. But but specifically to keep information and ideas in, yeah, right? Sure. And then in um, 20th century England, actually, right after the war, um, this, the, the Second World War, there was the Garden City movement. Right. Well in exactly. Well in Garden City, um, Letchworth Garden City. This idea of, uh, you know, after the war, right after this kind of perhaps dystopian 
environment, yes. right? Sure, yeah. Can we create living spaces for large numbers of people that is not only going to satisfy kind of uh, the base tiers of, for instance, like a hierarchy of needs? Can yeah. we build an environment that um, satisfies all tiers, right? Yeah, That's sure. something that is not only functional, um, but also like beautiful and not yeah. only beautiful, but encourages like, like, um, like good moral behavior yeah. and and a good kind of like character, sure. right? Like I, I think that's really interesting. This idea that like this notion of an ideal city kind of inspires not only yeah. text and stuff like that, but sure. then the envisioning of um, these kind of like like urban planning after moments of great despair sure. i think yeah. that's really interesting yeah, sure. right um and now and now i move into um the final part of my talk right which is you know if we're going to talk about kind of really insular worlds known as texts and then we kind sure. of zoom out into um actual cities and and, and like kind of nations and stuff like that well then what about world happiness right okay. and this is this very um uh, recent like out just it definitely after the second world war and very much like eight like 90s 2000s 2010s yeah. 2020s kind of concept which is like can we optimize the happiness of the world sure right so um this uh the world happiness report is actually a publication of the united nations sustainable development solutions network yep. and um it kind of determines what they call gross national happiness. Great, love it. Yeah, which I've, I, I've read about this. Yeah, before. it's it's a lot. Like for instance, unsurprisingly, Finland as of twenty uh, twenty one yeah, has won four times in a row. I don't know. Well, I was unsurprised by learning that fact, but I wanted to kind of dig a little deeper <coughs> to you know determine like um, just kind of. The, first of all, the way they calculated world happiness, right? Because it was like, what what kind of studies are being in place? Uh, what kind of factors? How long are these studies done? Like, how many sure. people do they put? Like, what are the kind of limitations of the many, sure. many probably apparent limitations of, of doing these kinds of studies, like tests sure. or whatever, yeah, yeah, right? Sure. So I found one where uh, one one way that they kind of measure this is called the Gallup World Poll Questionnaire. Yep. And the way it so does, Gallup's a polling company. yeah, and it kind of asks you to score, you know, like quality, I guess, 10 being the best possible life that one can have and zero being the worst. Sure. And it evaluates with, uh, if I'm not mistaken, 14 um, factors, variables, sure. right? Sure. So business and economic, citizen engagement, communication and technology, diversity, sure education and family emotional well-being environment and energy food and shelter government and politics law and order uh wealth religion and ethics transportation and work sure um and you know people who are i guess polled are asked to rank those they're kind of amalgamated sure. and calculated in a kind of way and then pff, all the countries sure. are ranked and stuff like that right um, other factors include um, GDP, of course, sure. right, per capita, um, social support and welfare, sure. um, the healthy life expectancy, the freedom to make choices, um, generosity, which I think is really interesting, sure. and then um, 
just like i guess like i can't even read this what am i no you know i (laughs) I wasn't worried about accidentally reading your cards i know exactly i can't even read this what does that say perceptions of maybe competition completion what does that mean anyways and that's um and what i really like about these factors this is from like a separate kind of poll or questionnaire is you have to compare those relative to um a hypothetical nation called dystopia really yeah isn't that interesting yeah. that's so once again it's it's this direct connection to more so utopia right it's this creation up, of of this of like the worst, the worst environment could and be in and then compa- exactly which i think is really really sure. interesting right and of course you know there's plenty of cases where um countries will score relatively like mediocre right and yet will like for instance colombia i think scored like you know probably in in in, like what like the freaking like 60s or 70s or whatever and yet they were in like the top five for like you know most happy in this one element right or like or or rather like most like not wanting to leave or what not wanting to move there's a lot of these different questions and also like you know like i said this idea of like this idea of like personal freedom like personal sure. happiness yeah. like yeah. what like what i discussed with you know more in this idea of like um like private kind of happiness versus public happiness sure. communal happiness versus individual happiness sure. you know it's hard to ask these kinds of questions to people around the world and then expect answers that abide by the same grading system yeah, of course, right or with the same values yeah sure exactly Meh. okay as of 2020 i can give you some kind of you know these little rankings right unsurprisingly finland is number one denmark's number two switzerland's number three iceland's number four norway's number five sure um like very scandinavian right for the most yep. part um canada is 11th God, like, I kind of looked in the last, like, five years, for instance, and Canada's dropped, like, freaking seven places, whatever that means, right? The UK's in 13th, um, the US is in 18th, um, Israel is in 14th as of 2020, which I think is really interesting, because I think that that is the perfect example of, like, who is answering these questions, and, like, by what markers are they grading it, right? Because, like, how can... A, a like a environment like israel be like 14th in world happiness sure. like that's crazy to sure. me but, the, but but then you could argue for I instance say, yeah i would say this isn't necessarily entirely a poll on happiness it might also be a poll on pessimism yeah right? maybe well yes yes it depends I, on how hellish you can think of oh. <laughs> and i would argue that if you know, I don't know jewish dark comedy has taught us yeah anything, they can get pretty dark no but i'm just thinking of like you know the constant like uh like arab israeli like conflict right which in 2020 and 2021 have been like uh have i think achieved new uh, highs and kind of tension and and, like despair and stuff like that but and and uh, you know as i'm asking as i'm kind of pondering through the kind of conundrum of israel being 14th right even with Canada, Canada, right? Like, you know, just this year we found, what, like 2,000 sure. bodies of little children in, like, residential schools. Like, it's one of those things where it's, like, depending on who you're asking, right? Yeah. This, I'm your sure. environment um, and the kind of happiness and ideal quality yeah. and, like, utopian kind of qualities that sure. they can foster is, like, 
way askew. So I guess what you're saying here is that, like, we shouldn't try and make people happy. We should scrap the pill. <laughs> Like, I just think it's interesting. I think it's we interesting. We should try and measure happiness because that's not an it's not an effective thing to measure. I think it's we should <laughs> we should stick to production. Yeah, exactly. And economic growth. I just think it's so interesting that you know this idea of utopia starting in the kind of fifteenth and sixteenth century kind of transforms into can we not only explore them in text and like political philosophy but then in actual design of cities and nations into can we somehow try, I think in this like late stage capitalist kind of mentality, can we try to like optimize happiness, right? Can we try to like by ranking kind of evaluate what needs to be put where and, you know, put like nations in some kind of like passive competition if if passive with each other to to raise the stakes of of being happy and being fulfilled and having these ideal cities and stuff like that anyways that pretty much concludes my presentation on utopianism ideal cities and world happiness wow that was really good i really enjoyed that thank you and with that in mind i'm going to award you a um degree in Thomas More Urban Planning Okay. from City University London. Th- Thomas More Urban Planning sounds like the name of a school of, of urban planning, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, the Thomas More School of Urban yeah, Planning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've got a PhD in urban planning wow. with, a, with a specialism in Thomas More's Utopia. Wow. So congratulations, uh, Dr. Zhang. Thanks. Uh, and, and with that in mind, I think we should come on to what's your word for me next week. Oh my gosh, yeah. Q R S T U V V. Okay, I got one for you. Okay. The word that I have for you next week is going to be the word Volta. Volta. Yes. V O L T A. Yes. Okay, I like it. I will have to go and find out what that <laughs> means. Um. I don't know either. I just thought of it. I thought of Voltron. I thought of Voltron, like that, like, what, isn't it like kind of like an Ultraman kind of thing? I think Volta is a word. I'm going to say Volta. I'm sticking with it. You got to roll with the punches. Okay, well, I'll go and Google Volta and find some obscure, like, startup called Volta. They probably sell, like, electric scooters or something. I think Volta is a word. And I think it's an English word, too. I think it's, like, used in my studies, which is embarrassing. I think Volta is. Good Definitely stuff. something. Good stuff. This yeah. is this is inspiration. It's freaking late. Let's wrap this up. Let's wrap it up. Okay. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this. Yes. Uh, if you want to stay in touch with the show, you want to you want to keep hearing new show uh, new episode to us, then don't forget to smash that subscribe button on whatever your favorite podcast service is, whether it's you know Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, doesn't matter. You know, just smash that subscribe button. You can follow us on social media on Twitter. We're at Live in Viva. And on Facebook, just punch in Living La Viva Voce into your search bar and we will come up. Until next time, I've been Adam. I've been Meg. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.